Would you turn your Bible, please, to Revelation 21? Revelation 21. This is a chapter that we could in no wise complete in one brief Sunday school lesson, nor in one sermon. And the things that are to be experienced in this chapter are so precious and enduring that it will take all eternity to take it in. And if I should preach on this chapter, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, from now until God took me there, I could never expound all the riches of that heavenly city, the New Jerusalem. May we bow together in prayer as we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us as we think together this morning of heaven, how far is it to heaven and where it is and what is there. Our Father, we thank Thee for these great songs that have thrilled and blessed our hearts already this morning. We thank You for the privilege and honor of standing at this sacred place to preach the Word of God. We would ask that the Holy Spirit would guide us And may the words of Scripture become alive and vital to everyone here. We pray that anyone under the sound and influence of this service who has never received Christ will open his heart to Jesus today. May this be God's hour and day of victory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like to read from Revelation 21. I will not read every verse, but if you'll follow, you'll be able to follow as we read to get the majestic beauty of that wonderful city called the New Jerusalem that we often call heaven. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God, and her light was like a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a great wall and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, 
And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof, and the city lieth four square. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper. The city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb were the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into that city anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. Many years ago, Arthur Engler wrote the words of a text that were set to music. It was related to this wonderful chapter. There's a holy and beautiful city whose builder and ruler is God. John saw it descending from heaven when Patmos in exile he trod. Its high, massive wall is of jasper. The city itself is pure gold. And when my frail tent here is folded, mine eyes shall its glory behold. No sin is allowed in that city, and nothing defiling or mean. No pain and no sickness can enter. No crepe on the doorknob is seen. Earth's sorrows and cares are forgotten. No tempter is there to annoy. No parting words ever spoken. There's nothing to hurt or destroy. No heartaches are known in that city. No tears ever moisten the eye. There's no disappointment in heaven, no envy and strife in the sky. The saints are all sanctified holy. They live in sweet harmony there. My heart is now set on that city, and someday its blessings I'll share. My loved ones are gathering yonder. My friends, too, are passing away. And soon I shall join their bright number and dwell in eternity's day. They're safe now in glory with Jesus. Their trials and battles are past. They overcame sin and the tempter. They've reached that fair city at last. In that bright city, pearly white city, I'll have a mansion, a harp, and a crown. Now I am watching, waiting, and longing for the white city that's soon coming down. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old order has passed away. We have come to the end of the millennium. We've come to the end of recorded time as revealed in the Scripture. We've come to the end of the time chart. We've come to the end of the line. There has been raised from the dead all the wicked who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. They have appeared before the judgment of the great white throne and have been banished from God's presence forever. Earth and heaven have been purged with fire, and there is a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, according to 2 Peter chapter 3. 
The last vision Jesus gave to John was that vision to look up. John, look there. All the hopes of the years, all the ambitions and dreams of the people through the ages, all of the thoughts about utopia, all of it will be fulfilled in that glorious city. John said, as I looked, behold, a new city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband in all of its glory, dazzling beauty, that city for which the generations of men have cried and looked, that city is coming. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Somebody has asked, where is heaven? There have been various answers to that question. Some have said heaven is a state of the mind. And wherever you think heaven is, that's where heaven is. Or heaven is what we make it right here. You can have a heaven in your home. You can have a heaven on earth. And of course, there are truths, veiled truths in each of those expressions. But the heaven spoken of in the Scripture, we've never dreamed of it. We've never imagined it. We read in Corinthians, I hath not seen, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them who love him, but the Spirit hath revealed them to us. And so those who are believers can recognize as we look around that we've not entered heaven yet. No matter how good the day is, no matter how fine things go, no matter how much money we have to pay our bills, no matter how sweet our home is and how much love we have and how much others appreciate our lives, that's not anything like heaven. For the believer has in his bosom a revelation from the Spirit of Jesus himself that says there's something better, there's something out there, and it's one day to, re to be revealed. We have a hint in the Scripture concerning the place of heaven. In Job chapter 26, verse 7, he stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. That's Job 26, 7. That one verse has led many Bible students to believe that heaven is in the north part of what we call the heavenlies. The scientists tell us and the astronomers and the astrologers as they look out across the vast space of the universe, as they train their scopes on the north place, there seems to be a vacuum and an empty place where there are no planets and no stars and no constellations, some kind of an empty place. And again in Scripture, over and over again, there is the suggestion that God's tabernacle is in the north part of the heavens. I do not mean to make heaven materialistic. I do not mean to say that we could get in a spaceship and go out yonder somewhere and suddenly come to those jasper walls and our spaceship might hit them and collide. I think this is thinking that is ludicrous. But the scripture does say that heaven, that God dwells in the north part of the heavens. And one day, the new Jerusalem will come down from heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And this leads to the first point in the message this morning. Heaven is above the earth. Now, heaven is above the earth 
in its preparation. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then Jesus lifted up his hands and blessed them. And the scripture says, a cloud parted the way, and the Lord was taken up from them into heaven. And two angels came by, and they said, Why do you stand gazing into the heaven? This same Jesus, whom you've seen taken into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. And so we understand from Scripture, if we're to take it literally at all, that heaven is up, that Jesus was ascended, and that somehow he is at the right hand of the Father. And when we compare Scripture to Scripture, it would seem that heaven is above the earth. Now, whether physically, tangibly, materially, heaven is above the earth or out from the earth or over from the earth or out in space or wherever it is, we do know one thing. Jesus is there, and it's above the earth in preparation, for Jesus has been preparing heaven for his bride for these 2,000 years. He's been preparing a place for you and you and you. And listen, when your loved one is taken, the sorrow and the tears are for us. The sorrow and the tears are over the separation we feel and we sense. But our Lord, 2,000 years ago, went over there to prepare a place for you, for everyone. And we're going to read in this place that there's no housing shortage in heaven. There's plenty of room for all who will come. In my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions. Secondly, heaven is not so far away from the earth that it cannot hear earth's sorrows and cares. Jesus said that not a sparrow falls to the ground but what the Father knows about it. The very hairs of our head are numbered. And in Psalms we read that the Lord somehow catches all of our tears and puts them in a bottle. And he knows even about our tears. Now I'm sure that there's spiritual symbolism there. But the point is that God knows about the cares and the hurts and the tears in this life. He knows about them. He looks into our hearts and he sees every falling tear. In John 11, there's a wonderful story. Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus. He was very sick. Now, Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Mary and Martha. Their home was his Bethany home. He frequently went to that Bethany home. When Lazarus grew sick, Mary and Martha knew that if the Lord would come, everything would be all right. So they sent for the Lord. And Jesus was beyond Jordan, preaching and teaching. He got the message, but he did not come right away. And Mary and Martha got a little bit agitated, just like you get agitated sometimes when maybe you call for the preacher, or you call for a friend or somebody, and he doesn't respond immediately. Well, they got agitated with Jesus. And Jesus continued there beyond Jordan. And after a little while, the message came, Lazarus is dead. And Jesus said to the disciples, Lazarus is asleep. Let's go wake him. <laughs> now, the disciples had no idea what the Lord meant. Well, they said, Lord, he's sick. He's been sick. 
And if he's asleep, why it's good for him to sleep. Don't go wake him in any way. Beside that, the Jews want to stone you. Let's not go back to Jerusalem. And so Jesus had to boldly say, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that he's dead so that you can see the glory of God. And they went up to Bethany. When they came to the edge of the little city of Bethany, now Bethany is on the east side of Jerusalem, just around the Mount of Olives. And one would have to come to Bethany before he comes to Jerusalem if he comes up the Jericho Road. And he came to Bethany, and when he came to the edge of the city, Mary and Martha heard that he was there, and they ran out to the city. One of the sisters ran out there and said, Now, Lord, Lord, oh, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Sternly rebuking the Lord, Jesus said, Your brother will live again. Oh, I know he'll live in the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The sister said, Yes, Lord, I believe. And they led Jesus out to the graveyard where Lazarus had been laid aside. The Bible says there were mourners all in that graveyard. Several years ago, some of us took a trip to the land of the Bible and we went to that place where they say was Lazarus' grave. It's a cave and there are trees around and we stood there by that cave door and some of us went down into the cave. If that indeed was the place, I can visualize Jesus standing there. And the Bible says in John eleven thirty five, 35, two of the most majestic words in all the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And those words are full of meaning for us today. Some have said Jesus wept because all the mourners were standing around weeping and it awakened a sympathetic note in his own heart. Others have said Jesus wept because Mary and Martha were so hurt and he loved them so much. Still others have suggested that Jesus wept because Lazarus had to go down through the valley of the shadow of death and that's a hard valley. Jesus did weep, perhaps, for all of those reasons. And Jesus weeps with you who weep. There are still others who have said, Jesus wept. And I think Dr. Martinez said this. Jesus wept because he was going to have to call Lazarus back from that wonderful city to which he had been for four days. And he would have to come back to all the tyranny and heartaches and difficulties of this earth. But there are still other hints in Scripture that perhaps the reason Jesus wept, one of the reasons, was because of the stone-cold heart of unbelief in the lives of those standing around. And the Lord knew that they would never inherit the kingdom of God. They would never be able to go out into that wonderful city. And should they go, when they go into death, they will never be able to hear the voice of the Son of God. For Jesus said the day is coming when all that sleep in the graves, all of those who have died with faith in Christ, when they hear the voice of the Son of God, they will come out of the graves. And Jesus wept because there were standing around at the tomb that day those who did not know the Lord and would not hear His voice. And they would spend eternity separated from God forever and forever. And this would cause tears in His eyes and our eyes. One of the hardest things a preacher has to do is to conduct the funeral of a lost man, a lost woman, 
and stand by an open grave and see the tears and the agony and the heartache of loved ones who know that that dear one has gone beyond their reach forever and forever. No wonder Jesus wept. And Jesus weeps with us. And I want to tell you, even though our Lord Jesus is in heaven today, heaven is not so far away, but what the Lord knows all about your heartaches and your tears and your hurts and your sorrows and all of the anguish and turmoil of your heart. The Lord knows about it. The Scripture says something else about heaven. Heaven is where grief is banished. Look in verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. In that wonderful city of God, there's no more sea, there's no more sorrow, there's no more crying, there's no more pain, there's no more curse, there's no more night, there's no more death, there's no more sin, forever and forever. Heaven is a place where all of what we know as grief and hurt are banished forever. And the monsters that have leaped into our lives in the midnight hours or have crushed upon us with turmoil in the least expecting moment and crash, the hopes and dreams of all of our lives have crumbled away. All of that will be a thing of the past in heaven. For in heaven, there will be no interruptions to the glory of God and the sweet bliss to those who know the Lord. The shadows deepen and my heart bleeds. I will not question the way God leads. This side of heaven we know in part. I will not question a broken heart. But we'll talk it over in the by and by. We'll talk it over, my Lord and I. I'll ask the reasons. Then he'll tell me why when we've talked it over in the by and by. Look in verse 5. Heaven is a new and permanent city. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Here we have no continuing city. We read some passages in Hebrews concerning Abraham. He looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. And they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Truly, if they had been mindful of that country from where they came out, they would, might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they, without us, should not be made perfect. Heaven is a new and permanent city, entered by faith, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. But look at verse 10. The Scripture tells us, fifthly, that heaven is a beautiful city. He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light did lighten it. It was like a stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone. The wall of the city had twelve foundations. The city lieth four square. The building of the wall is of jasper. The city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. You think of all the beauty of heaven. 
beautiful, beautiful heaven. In 1962, we occupied this auditorium for the first time. We came in here. Jesus. That 40-foot pitched roof pointing men heavenward, upward. Those beautiful windows are windows copied from the precious stones of the 21st chapter of Revelation, reminding us that that's what heaven will look like. The chandeliers in this auditorium with a cross and a chi and a roll, the Greek symbols for Christ, Christ, the light of the world. And Christ will be the light of that wonderful city called heaven. Everything here reminding us that one day we will dwell in the beauty of that wonderful city called heaven. Somebody has said, figuring literally the dimensions given in this chapter, the city lieth four square, that the city is 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles high, and 1,500 miles wide. And in this great and glorious city, there are streets over streets and stories over stories and up and up to a height of 1,500 feet, 1,500 miles, and each street is 1,500 miles long. Heaven is a solid cube of golden construction stretching 1,500 miles every way. The base of the city would stretch from furthest Maine to furthest Florida and from the Atlantic to Colorado. It would cover all of Ireland and Britain and France and Spain and Italy and Germany and Austria and most of Turkey and half of European Russian, all of that taken together. In this city of gold, every street is one-third the diameter of the earth. The number of Maine access and avenue streets one mile above each other and a mile apart would total eight million miles. Yeah, there's plenty of room in heaven. Plenty of room. And heaven is a wonderful place. And whether we're to take these figures and, and, and dimensions literally or whether they are symbolic saying there's plenty of room in heaven, there's no housing shortage, you may live in a little hovel here. You may live in a little hut. You may not have all that you need here. But heaven will not be like that. Heaven will be beautiful in all of its glory, in all of its joy. The closest thing, perhaps, we can get to heaven is when the snow king comes and places his beautiful blanket of snow on the cheap, cheap tawdry trash heaps of this world and all the ugly things are covered in the beautiful snow before any man's foot has placed an imprint on that snow, you look out and see it in all of its grandeur, and all of its beauty. Heaven will be beautiful like that. There's something else about heaven in verse 23. I like this. Heaven is where Jesus is. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. The best thing about heaven is Jesus. Oh, friends will be there I have loved long ago. 
Joy like a river all around me will flow, yet just a smile from the Savior I know will through the ages be glory for me. You think of the dear ones who have gone from you, some who lived to be older. They were part of your sense of security all through the years of your life, and then with a wave of a hand, it were as if they said, I've gone with you as far as I can. I'll go now, but I'll see you in the morning. They'll be there in that glorious city. Some whose lives were cut off in early childhood, and they could not live all of the years of their lives here. And oh, how the strings of your heart were pulled and torn, and those cords have never been healed. There's still a brokenness there. I submit to you, they're there in that wonderful city of heaven, and you'll meet them. But with all that beauty and all that hope and all those wonders, the most beautiful thing about heaven will be Jesus. He who knew no sin, who became sin for me and for you, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. That one who went to the cross and took the nails, who took the spear, who took the hell that I deserve, that you deserve, our sins, put him there. It was our sins that nailed him to the cross. And Jesus will be there waiting to welcome us. Fanny Crosby said, I'll know him. She was the blind songwriter. Some skeptic said, how are you going to know him? How are you going to see him? You've never seen anything. You're blind. And godly Christian woman said, I'll know him. I'll know him by the nail prints in his hands. I'll see him face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be when with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. How wonderful heaven is going to be. There's something else about heaven. In verse 24, heaven is where the redeemed are. The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. The kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. The gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. All the honorable people who have known the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, they're going to be there. Savannarola, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, Polycarp, Paul, Peter, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the man that won you to the Lord, the woman that was your mother that God took in death. All of the loved ones, they're going to be there. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. But I must close and close with a severe warning, for this chapter closes with a terrible warning of all the speaking of heaven and all the glory of that wonderful city called the New Jerusalem. There's an ominous warning right at the end of it. Listen to it. And there shall in no wise enter into that city anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Not everybody's going to be in heaven. There may be some people in this very room this morning who are not going to be in heaven. You need Jesus in your life, for without him, there is no hope. All you have is the nether gloom of the darkness. And one day, friend, the silver stars will turn to gold, and all of your hopes 
will come to an end. And the doctor says, you have six months to live. Or he says to you concerning some loved one, just a few more days. Or you go out in the prime of life and all of a sudden you see a car coming and bang, crash, and you're hurled into eternity. And friend, if you do not know Christ Jesus as personal Savior and Lord, eternity is awful, dark, gloom, forever and forever, separated from God in a place that Jesus called hell. And as wonderful as heaven is, hell is the opposite in all of its terror and horror. I'm going to speak on that tonight the awfulness of hell. But God doesn't want you to go there. He wants you to go to heaven. He wants you in heaven. Jesus has gone to prepare that wonderful city of heaven. Won't you come to him today? Receive him as your Savior and your Lord and say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to honor you and serve you and live for you the days that you give me on this earth. May we bow together in prayer, please. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. In a moment, we're going to sing that song. God is speaking to your heart. If you're here without Jesus, I pray that you'll come today out of bondage and sorrow and night into God's glorious city, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Will you do it? For the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Our Father, we pray that just now somebody would say no to sin and no to the devil and no to hell. And yes to God. Yes to God's only Son, Jesus. Yes to heaven. We'll start a new life in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand, please? Would you look this way a moment? What's the number of that song? That song number is 233, if you'll find it, and then look at me, please. The Holy Spirit has spoken to hearts this morning. If you're here without Jesus, you've never received him as your Savior, I plead with you earnestly to just come. Just come to him, just as you are. Without one plea, his blood was shed for thee. Now, you may have been saved before you came here this morning, and you need to make it public. You need to walk down this aisle and let's just have a word of prayer and then let me tell the church, here's this young man, this young woman, here's this man, here's this woman, here's somebody that has received Jesus as Savior and we want to rejoice in it. But friend, if you've never been saved, I urge you to come today. If you're not sure how, we'd like to take the Bible and show you from God's Word how to be saved, how to receive Christ, how to go to heaven. God help you to do that. If there's anyone here who needs to move your letter, become part of this church family, will you come while we begin to sing? Just step out quickly. Don't wait. Come quickly as we begin to sing the first note. Will you come right now?